Do you have questions when it comes to business development and financing but feel like they are too dumb to ask? I know I do. However, tonight I'm going to ask the dumb questions. Rebecca Caden, and of course I say dumb in quotation marks, you guys. Uh, Rebecca Caden, a principal at Maverone, is a a consumer-based venture capital firm. She's joining us tonight for the next 30 minutes. Check in using the hashtag YFEChat and introduce yourself on YFELive.com. Jennifer Dono. I'm your host tonight for the next 30 minutes. Use the hashtag, like I said, YFE chat for uh, any tweetables, quotables, all that fun stuff, and introduce yourself on the chat on YFELive.com. Tonight's show is episode 120, and it is brought to you by MailChimp. Let me pop this up. MailChimp is the best way to design, send, and share email newsletters. You can get started today for free at MailChimp.com. So grateful to those guys. They just sent me a book actually by one of their copywriters that I'm going to read and tell you all about. Uh, Very excited about that. Make sure that you join um, our mailing list as another note. Sorry, guys, I'm kind of all over the place tonight. But join our mailing list at yfe.me forward slash mailed it to stay in the loop with everything young female entrepreneurs. We've got some big things coming up at the end of summer that we want to get you involved in. Bootstrap Book Club is getting started again. And we also have some in the works things with the website. So it'll be lots of fun for you to stay involved. So tonight's show is all about getting funding. What does it look like to work with a venture capital firm? What does it look to pitch, uh, look like to pitch them? Who are the faces behind the big uh, VC? What does that look like? That kind of thing. We're going to get Rebecca Caden on. She's going to tell us all about the wonderful and mysterious world of venture capital. Uh, So just to give you a quick uh, background on Rebecca, our guest. Rebecca was born and raised in New York City. She began working at Maverone. You know what? I'm probably pronouncing that wrong too. I should have in 2011 while earning her MBA at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. Prior to attending GSB, she was a journalist. So Rebecca, tell us more about how you got involved in um, in venture capital. Because journalism to venture capital uh, does not sound like exactly a straight and arrow and, uh, you know, shoot over to venture capital stuff. No, it doesn't, and it didn't to me at the time either. Um, I was a first-year student at business school at Stanford um, and didn't know much about what venture capital was at all, um, but knew I wanted to get into technology and went to an advisor of mine who was at Stanford and said, you know, I'm thinking about all these options. What do you think I should do? And he said, you know, I know this great VC firm. It's full of awesome people, and what it will allow you to do is get an understanding of technology landscape. What I didn't know at the time was one, how much I would like it, two, how much I would really like the people there, and three, how applicable a journalism background actually would be. Because if you think about what the role of VC really is, it's all about stories. It's all about how you can spin a story of a startup very early on to paint a picture that looks like a really big business. Because it's all about whether you can take kind of a kernel of an idea and figure out if there's an opportunity to believe that it can be really, really big. Um, so it actually called upon my prior experience in a much more relevant way than I kind of initially thought it would. So I met the Mavron, uh, you had that right, um, <laughs> to, through this advisor, came on on a kind of part-time internship basis in between my summers of business school and basically never left. Um, I wound up loving the team, 
really loving the business and, and loving getting to work with kind of fantastic entrepreneurs who are working to build these businesses that are going to really change the world. So it was it was a good fit. So, well, let's talk about it. it's a consumer based company. Tell us more about the actual what it is, what you guys fund. I mean, it's it was founded by um, Howard Schultz and Dan. And I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. Levitan. Yeah, Levitan. sure. So. Mavron was founded in 1998 by Dan and Howard, and Howard had just taken Starbucks public, and Dan had been the investment banker on that job. And the two of them got together to build a firm really around backing and building big consumer brands, and the idea that there's a lot of product and technology, but how do you create a consumer success? Because consumer successes take great product and technology and wrap it in a brand, which is basically a story and something that consumers connect to and emotionally relate to and talk about and tell their friends, which is how something gets really big. And so uh, they, they sought to kind of find those things that had that magic, that had the kind of right brain and left brain combination that we think goes into consumer. Uh, so started early on, the first investment was an investment in eBay in early days. And we've done a bunch of kind of big consumer brands since, like drugstore.com, Shutterfly, Zulily, General Assembly, Julep, a whole bunch of different things that are all united by this direct-to-consumer business model. Well, and there's not very many, and I could be totally wrong with this, because like I said at the beginning, I feel like I have a lot of dumb questions around what a VC is, but I feel like a lot of them are more of a B2B type of a of a, a thing. It's, maybe it's just in the Seattle area, but I feel like a lot of them are like cloud-based. Um, so, so is that true? I mean, is are there a lot of venture capital firms that, that you know, specialize in this area? Not that specialize in it. I think we are one of the only, if not the only, consumer-only firms. And the reason we chose that is kind of a couple of things. One is we believe the consumer is awesome opportunity, um, that it's never been a better time to create brands. Technology gives leverage to access customers and create distribution channels like it never has before. And brands are growing faster than they ever have before. So we're kind of more passionate about consumer now than ever before. But we've always thought that if you do something really well, rather than doing a lot of different things, you can do it kind of with expertise and with a designated network around it. So by picking consumer, we've developed a network, both of our own entrepreneurs, other entrepreneurs, and people who can help them, that's really devoted to building brands. And so we get a lot of leverage out of that, which is why we specialized. It's also part of our heritage with Starbucks. Um, we're not related to Starbucks, but we were started by Howard. And he has this background in how do you build one of the best brands probably of all time. Um, and we wanted to leverage that expertise and kind of growing out the portfolio. But it is rare to specialize in it. Um, you know, consumer goes in and out of favor over time. And, and our goal is if we can stay consistent to it and devoted to it, we can be kind of one of the best that there is at, at finding and helping those opportunities. So, okay. Backing up a little bit, you are a you're part of the investment team, and in your email signature and on your bio, you, it talks about being your um, a principal. Yeah. So, what do you do exactly? Sure. So, I do a bunch of different things. Primarily, I form relationships with people that I think have the potential to build these really big companies. Um, we take a pretty long view approach of venture capital. I think the traditional reputation of VC, whether from Shark Tank or just what you read about or hear about or tidbits in the media, is an entrepreneur comes in, pitches a company, VCs sit around a boardroom table and decide whether they're going to invest or not. And we pretty much flip that on their head and say that's kind of not how good investment's done. Good investing, especially in early days, 
requires getting to know people really well. And much more than knowing their business model, understanding how they think and how they're going to adapt to change and ambiguity and evolve over time. And so we think you need to build those relationships consistently over a significant period. So a lot of what I do is try to identify people early and really get to know them and be helpful along the way. Often and almost always, even before they need or are good funding opportunities for us. So we may meet a company, I may meet an entrepreneur, and it's too early for us to fund them. They're you know, not quite sure what they're gonna do, they don't really have a product yet, but I wanna be there along the way, helping them figure it out, helping to figure out who they should talk to. So let me get this straight, you meet an entrepreneur, like you're at a networking event and you just like the person, and so they don't even have an idea formed yet. They probably have an idea, and I would say networking events are one place to meet people, but I often meet entrepreneurs through my network, through intros from people in my network, whether that be other investors or other VCs or people at technology companies. Um, And they may have an idea, they may have an early product, maybe they're ready for a seed round. But our goal is, can can we meet them enough times? Can we get to know them to make a real educated decision on whether this is someone we want to really partner up with for the long haul? Oh, that's oh, interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> so yeah. now, Rebecca, as far as the, so you say that you meet them sometimes before they even have an idea, but, and it's you sometimes that are going after them. Do people, so I see this, I mean, and I think this is partially from that reality show uh, that was on, what was that show called? That I think it was on Bravo. And people show up at offices and they'll pitch and it'll last about 15 minutes and they leave. Is that generally how it happens? I mean, do people make appointments with like a secretary and you have certain days that you take pitches in? What does that look like? So generally I do, you know, fill up my schedule with meetings. They're generally more like an hour than 15 minutes. I don't think you can learn enough about how someone thinks in 15 minutes. And they may be the first time I've ever met the person, and so I'm getting to know who they are and how they think and what areas they're focused on and a little bit about their business. It might be the fifth time I've met them and we're really diving deep onto their acquisition method or how they look at expanding the market or something really specific to get to know their business better. But I think the biggest contra to the stereotypes is we basically never, we actually absolutely never meet someone for 20 minutes in a boardroom and decide whether we're going to invest or not. <laughs> That's funny. I feel like reality television has really skewed a lot of the ways that we think about uh, getting funded. So yes. then what stage are these entrepreneurs generally at? Do they have a prototype? Do they just have an idea? Do they have millions of users already? You know, a huge variation within the portfolio. And it depends what kind of round that they're doing. We invest in both seed stage rounds and series A rounds. And so what we- Tell us more about that, yeah. Yeah, sure. So if you look at the very early days, it's can I build a product? Can I figure out this technology? And that we think is best for kind of friends, family, and angel, which is can I get something off the ground? When you're building a seed, we think that seed round should be I have a product, now can I get to product market fit? So usually when we invest in a seed round, they both have a product and some semblance of a belief that consumers want it. That doesn't mean extreme traction. That doesn't mean they're at scale, but it means they have done enough testing on the product to know that it's something that people want. And then they have to iterate around how they're going to get it there and how they're going to scale. And there's a lot of things to figure out. But we are kind of maniacally focused on can you prove out really, really early and really, really scrappily that you're building something that there's a market for. 
And so then we would invest in a seed stage where generally the entrepreneur is raising a little bit of money, relatively little bit to you know the venture rounds that are kind of come later. Maybe it's five hundred thousand dollars, maybe it's a million dollars, maybe it's two million dollars. But it's the kind of early institutional round. An institutional round comes after a friends, family, angel round. After that, in that seed round, we hope that they've tested what they've needed to test, which is how do I get this to market? Do I have product market fit? Am I ready to scale? And most importantly, can I hire out the right people around me to bring it to market with me and make sure it's a success? And then we would do a Series A round. And a Series A round is a, is a bit bigger. We generally write checks of kind of two to five million dollars to lead rounds at that stage. And that's, I have a product that has product market fit. Can I scale it? Can I help make it big? And can I really grow out the team to be best in class? So you've stated in a panel in the past, uh, I think it was actually at the social media event that you were at in the Seattle area, uh, you talked about how that as a venture, venture capital, someone that invests in people uh, at that level, that you're looking for companies that are going after large categories or yeah. categories that are soon to be type of a thing. So what are those categories that you're really talking about there? Mostly it's things that have just really, really big markets. I think one thing that's important for entrepreneurs to remember is that when you're going to an institutional VC, particularly one with a fund of over $100 million, they have a commitment to their investors to return a multiple on that fund. And the only way they can do that is to get really big exits, which means that they're backing entrepreneurs that are going after giant categories that have the potential to generate multi-billion dollar exits. And so one thing we think about is how big is the market? And we do that with the recognition that many great businesses for entrepreneurs have been created off of smaller markets where they go deep in a niche. It's just those businesses we think you should verify through angels and kind of individual investors before going to institutions. So, And what are some examples of the people that you've actually invested in and you've taken a lead on those companies that maybe even have had those big ex exits or that are the soon-to-be big exiters? Sure, yeah. We have, we have a bunch. Um, some categories that we're really excited about is you know, e-commerce um, is a huge focus of our firm. We have a strong belief that um, dollars spent are rapidly moving online and on mobile, um, and that technology is creating huge leverage to reach customers and re-reach them, target them deeper and get them on board. So some examples of companies um, in that category that we've done in the past include Zulily, uh, which is a daily deal site for moms and kids based in Seattle. We were the first institutional investor in that, and it returned a very good um, exit to the firm in December when it uh, went public. Uh, we're also uh, lead investors in Jula, which is a vertically integrated beauty company. The idea that hey, what if you took Revlon and infused it with data and math so it could target the customers really precisely and sell online and offline. Uh, a, a fairly newer one is a company called Darby Smart, which is a marketplace for craft supplies. And that's a good example here. It's a market that's often overlooked. An institutional investing, you think of craft supplies and uh, you know investors around Silicon Valley may not think that that's that big. And when you dig in, it turns out to be giant. There's an offline analog called Michaels, which does many billions of dollars of revenue each year. And Darby Smart is trying to penetrate that market by selling craft supplies online. So those are some examples in e-commerce that we're focused on. Another category that we're very focused on is the on-demand service industry. The idea that especially millennials and heavy tech users. Um, which is a you know, huge and growing portion of the population, 
um, have an have a increasing expectation to get anything they want on demand. And Uber has obviously proved that out with transportation, but it's applicable across a range of categories, and that's kind of a, a growing market that we're very focused on. Another is consumer hardware and the idea that software will power the offline world the same way that it's powered the online world, and then we're kind of at stage one of that happening. So at what point, at, okay, so starting from the very beginning, let's say I have this awesome idea and I want eventually for Rebecca to be the person that moves me into the next level. What do you have to do from that idea point into maybe going after friends and family and then from friends and family going to an angel or a VC maybe later on down the road? What, what, what things do you have to put in order in order to do that? I would say the first thing you need to do is prove that there's consumer interest in your idea. And that is the part you should fake. I, you know, what we say about being scrappy is fake everything except the consumer interest and traction, and that should be genuine. So if you have to fake the technology, the back end, some of the product, what you're trying to prove is you have an idea, do consumers want it? And I think before you go talk to a VC, you should be able to confidently answer, they do. Uh, I think the second thing you need to think about is a good understanding of why you are the best person to go after that idea. What gives you, as an entrepreneur, unfair advantage in tapping that market and building that product? Beyond having thought of the idea, why are you the best person to execute on it? Because VCs, especially institutional VCs, are going to be looking for that. Not only a good idea, but the right team to go after it. And so I think a really crisp answer of why that's the case is very helpful. And then I would think about developing that relationship early on, trying to meet that VC even briefly before you are asking for anything, before you're asking for funding. Maybe you're asking for advice, and not vague advice, but a very specific thing. I have this concept. What is the acquisition channel you think is going to be best? What are some tools that I need? And I would think about engaging them and evangelizing them so that their supporters are on your side before you're asking for that funding. One of the ladies in the chat is a Darby Smart creator. Oh, great. That's so exciting. That's cool. Happy to have you. Uh, so, Rebecca, then, um, you and I've heard a number of people say this, that you need to make sure that your idea is validated before really moving into the next step. And I'm someone that's read The Lean Startup a few times, and I've interviewed proponents of it that have done it in their startups. And what's the best way, do you feel like, that, uh, like you said, don't fake the consumer demand piece, actually make sure that that's there. Uh, if you're faking everything else, what's the best metric then to make sure that the consumer actually wants that? Is it dollars being exchanged? Or is it someone oh. clicking a button that says, yes, I'd be into this? So it depends on what the product is. If your goal is to sell something to a customer, dollars are the best way to find out if they want it. And sometimes if you don't have the thing to sell yet, you kind of got to fake that. You have to get as close as you can without being able to do that transaction. But what the VC is going to be looking for is how far down the conversion funnel did you get? Did you get them to say, okay, I'll pay, right? Because you're trying to see how close to that actual demand can you get. If you're building a high growth you know, social network, it's not dollars, it's signups or it's re-engagement. I think one of the best things to do really early on is find out, figure out what you're optimizing for. What do you need to prove in your product? Is it dollars spent? Is it the number of times a customer comes back? Is it how many signups you can get in a given period? Is it how many times the customer shares it with their friends? And, uh, and rank those metrics so you know exactly what you're trying to target and go after. I feel like uh, 
and this could be totally off from you guys that are watching. You'll have to chat in and let me know what your thoughts are. But I feel like getting something funded feels like this magical world that only like the elite of the entrepreneurs can actually get to. But one of the things that has really helped my mindset on this is with Shark Tank. I feel like it's much more approachable, a lot easier. Um, like it just doesn't seem as scary. It seems like it's something that's totally doable as a female, young female even. There's people that are like 13 years old on that show that are <laughs> getting funded. So. Yeah. Rebecca, what are some of the myths and and the truths around a show like that? Especially, I mean, obviously a lot of it is drummed up for entertainment. And I know a number of the entrepreneurs after the show, their deals actually fall through. So what are some things that uh, we just need to, that you won't expect when you go and sit down with you and you pitch an idea? Sure. I think the biggest thing is that time and how easy it looks. It's not easy to get funded. And that's really hard for an entrepreneur. And I think you know, good investors, and certainly my team at Mavron tries to be really empathetic to that. It's really hard. It takes a lot of work. You have to be, you really do have to be that best of the best, or you should have to be, right? Because our job is to create that funnel and, and back the successes, and it's a really hard to grow these consumer businesses. It's not easy at all. And I think Shark Tank sometimes makes funding look easy. So I would say the biggest myth is it's going to take more than 20 minutes. There's no you know, good investor who can decide with confidence in 20 minutes because the biggest thing you're deciding on is the person behind it. It's not those metrics. It's not that product sample. It's do you believe in that entrepreneur who's growing the business? And that takes time. That takes more than 20 minutes to do. So I'd say that's the biggest myth. I think the truest part about it is even though it takes time to get to know someone and hopefully you have multiple interactions with an investor before you take their money, because you have to remember, especially an institutional investor, you're committing to them as much as they're committing to you. You want to be totally comfortable with that institutional investor and be sure that they're going to add more than capital to the mix and really be on your side and really help you. So every step of the way, you should be evaluating that as much as they're evaluating you. But what I do think that Shark Tank does is it shows entrepreneurs you need to be succinct. You need to take all the complexities of your business. Businesses are so complicated. There's so many different moving parts and so many different things to optimize. You need to take all of it and be able to really simply explain what you're doing and why it's awesome. I think it's a lesson in kind of succinctness and kind of boiling down big ideas into understandable bites. That's a valuable tool for an entrepreneur. So you mentioned the idea that you need to meet with someone a number of times because like you've said in the past or just um, a few minutes ago was that you invest not only in the idea but the team behind it and especially yeah. the person that created it. Uh, so then Mark Cuban, he's known, um, he gets written up all the time in Fast Company and Inc. based off of these email exchanges that he has where he invests in someone via an email exchange. He never actually speaks to the person, the team handles it and it all happens over email like I said. So what's, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that happens with more than just Mark Cuban, or is it more that he's just that personality and he can do that? He's the only person I've ever heard of doing that, and, and I'll tell you why. I think part of it has to do with all the different kinds of investing. Being an angel and investing your personal money is very different than being an institutional investor like Mavron. Um, and part of the difference is because if you're Mavron, you have investors in you. The money we're investing in entrepreneurs has been invested in us. And so we have a responsibility to our investors to justify what we're doing and convince them that we put the time and effort in to make good decisions. Now, if I'm an angel and I'm investing my own money, I can do whatever I want. If I want to invest off of an email, I invest off of an email. I don't care. But that only works 
as a model if you're doing lots and lots and lots of different investors. So I would, you know, and lots of different investments. So I would, I would clarify that angels and I would be really clear with them what you're getting. Are they someone that they're, that's investing in an, off of an email? Then they're probably doing a lot of investments. So while you're going to get their capital, you probably won't get a lot of time and you probably won't get a lot of help because to do it that way, they're probably operating on scale. The idea if they put a little bit in a lot, that maybe they can get a good return. Or is it an angel that took a lot of time to get to know you, really dove in, really put the time in? Then it's more likely that they're not only going to give you their capital, but open up their network and really be an assistant to you in building the business. Speaking of angels, I've read a number of articles recently and over the last five years saying more women need to become angels, more successful women need to mentor other young female entrepreneurs. And last week, our guest was talking about how Tyra Banks, she's now uh, become an angel herself. So is that something that you feel like more women are necessary in the space for other women uh, to succeed or to be funded? Um, or do you feel like, I mean, you're just looking at Maverick alone, You, a lot of the, the people that you've invested in aren't necessarily the female-founded companies that Maverick in general has, has, uh, has invested in. So do you think that's necessary? I've invested in both. I've invested in a bunch of women. The CEO of Darby Smart is yeah. a fantastic woman. Um, we have a, a bunch in our portfolio. And, and we're proud of that, but we're mostly proud of backing the best entrepreneurs. So you're um, not like actively seeking female entrepreneurs. We want to seek the best entrepreneurs. I hope that a lot of them are female. I hope half of them are female. But our goal is to seek the best entrepreneurs. And I think that relates to this. You know, my perspective is, you know, are women underrepresented in investing? Absolutely. Do I hope that there are I mean, more? look at the picture alone of your team. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and it's totally off the mark of consumer spend, right? Yeah. Women account for 80% of consumer spend and they account for like 10% of investors. And the companies are going after that consumer spend. So it's clearly off base. Now, the best investors can bank on markets that are not themselves. So that's okay, but it's always, you know, you want a representative population. And, you know, certainly women are awesome investors and that there should be more of them. But I think the most exciting thing if there were more female angels would be Angels often come out of successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who have exited and then start to angel invest. So I think the most exciting thing if there were more female angels would be that there were more female exits and more female entrepreneurs and more female successes. And I think the way that you're gonna change the investing industry and make it easier for women to raise money is probably to create more female winners in, in entrepreneurship and in technology companies. So I think the more we can do to promote that, the better off we'll all be. And how do we create more female winners? We, you know, we provide assistance and go work for and help in any way we can the women that are starting awesome breakout success companies. And there are a lot of them. Jula, Darby Smart, Learn Best, like Eventbrite. There's a whole bunch of them. And I think as these, you know, get more and more high profile and as they exit into public markets and in big strategic exits will start to prove out that there's no reason to ever think that, you know, women aren't up there as the best entrepreneurs that there are. It's interesting because, the, like I said, the guest last week that was mentioning Tyra Banks and just the whole idea of investing in women, she posted up another picture of a story of a female entrepreneur that pitched a man who said, I never invest in women because you don't think linear and I like people who think linear. Uh, like my wife, and I thought that's interesting that people are still saying that type of thing. Um, but anyway, so Rebecca, what advice would you give to a young female entrepreneur that has this awesome idea 
let's say she hasn't even gotten started yet, but she sees big, big potential in it, what would you tell her to do? I would say the first thing you should do is go out and get validation that people want what you're selling or people want what you're creating. The second thing you should do is work tirelessly to surround yourself with best-in-class people. How do you build the support system, whether it's employees, co-founders, advisors, that are awesome at what they do and can help you along the way? Because those are your people, and that's your asset, and that's what you can do off of nothing. And then I would go build relationships with the investors that can help you and take a really long view and be particular about who you want to work with and evangelize them to your product from very early days. I like it. I like it. Nice, easy advice. Easier said than done, I shouldn't say. Easier said than done. All right, Rebecca, well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It was so nice to hear from, I mean, like I said, this is, it's like the magical unicorn to me as someone, especially a female that works at a venture capital firm. I really had no idea what any of this uh, looked like. So again, thank you so much. Where can people find out more about uh, Mavron and what you're doing and even follow you online? Yeah, go to mavron.com. Uh, read about what we do, read about the companies that we've invested in, and you'll find me and links to all of my various social media sites as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Cool. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. All right, everyone. So you're just listening to Rebecca. Uh, she is one of the principals of the uh, of Mavron. You can find out more about it at Mavron.com. Hopefully, I didn't sound super stupid <laughs> asking her all of those questions, but I really, I like I said, I don't, I don't really know very much about it. And I, I mingle with these other successful entrepreneurs at networking events or and serving these clients, and they talk about, oh, we're, uh, we just finished up our Series A round, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome, congratulations! But I really didn't know anything about it, so um, that was fantastic, and so grateful of her to take the time and talk to us about that tonight. So hopefully, you guys will join us next Thursday. Thursday, same time, same place, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern here on YFELive.com. All of our replays go up on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash YF Entrepreneur. Um, we're at YF Entrepreneur everywhere online, but we're also on iTunes. You can get this in audio too. So if you wanted to listen to us while you're at the gym, you can do that. Um, again, thank you all for showing up live, for chatting. I didn't get to do any features tonight, and I apologize for that. Um, but uh, hopefully we can do more features next week. And again, like I said, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Sign up at yfe.me forward slash mail to stand the loop with everything young female entrepreneurs. This has been Jennifer Donna. Thank you again for watching YFE Chat Live. Have a great night.